Okay, Revelation 22. Everybody find their way there? Last book of the Bible, all right? Uh, Last chapter of the last book of the Bible. Let's stand, if we can, for the reading of God's Word. Revelation 22, verse 11 through 13, all right? We'll begin in verse 11 together. I'll read verse 12 alone, then we'll read verse 13 together. Ready? Here we go. Together, verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. And he which is filthy, let him be filthy still. And he that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according to his work, or uh, let me back up, to give every man according as his work shall be. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. We're looking at uh, this uh, series, My Work for God. We're talking about His coming. Last week we looked at the, the rapture of the Christian. This week we're looking at the reward of the Christian. We're going to be talking about the, the judgment seat of Christ for those who have believed in Jesus for salvation. And so let's pray this morning as we pre- continue to prepare our hearts. God, help us to set aside the cares and worries and concerns that we brought into the service of what happened in the past this week, even the recent past, of maybe even what happened on a card ride in to church this morning or getting ready for church or uh, some work project that uh, we left behind Friday looming over our head. Help us to set aside the cares of after the service and beyond. Lord, help us to be checked in, fully present, both in body and mind and in spirit. And Lord, help us to gather from the Word of God those truths that will mold us and shape us. May we be malleable and pliable. May we grow uh, from the Word of God. May we leave with real, solid decisions made that will help us, Lord, to please You and prepare us for that day of judgment, that day of reckoning, that day of account. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Okay, so let me take you back to either middle school or high school, all right? Some of you are in middle school, high school. Most of us are not. Let me take you all back to when you were in middle school or high school. Are you ready to feel awkward? You ready to feel awkward? Okay. Um, Remember what it was like going to middle school and high school? You had the pressure, I call it the hallway pressure, the pressure of fitting in socially. Uh, You could kind of hide behind your books in the classroom, but when you went out in the hallway in between classes, boy, uh, there was a pecking order of fitting in. Most every school has the same set of kids, all right? You have, and uh, this is meant to be lighthearted, so please don't get your feelings hurt, you have the dumb jocks. You have the dumb jocks, right? And they couldn't make very good grades, but boy, they could uh, they could throw a ball through a hoop, or they could kick a ball into a goal, or uh, they could shoot a basketball in a basket. I remember the school I went to, some of the best athletes we had never even made it on the court because they couldn't get their grades up, right? And they had a rule, if you had a D on your report card or a lower, you couldn't play. And trying to get those kids to get their grades up so we could put the best team out there was a challenge. And then you have the super smart kids. Another word for that is nerds, all right? Uh, how many of you sitting next to a nerd right now? Hold your hand up. You're sitting next to some kind of a nerd, okay? Always got a book in their hand, a little bookworm, and they're reading. And you ask them a question, and they know everything about everything, all right? Listen, a lot of those become school teachers. So if you're a teacher here today, 
whether you want to admit it, you're probably a nerd, all right? When I finished college, I wanted nothing else to do with school, all right? You couldn't have paid me enough to go back in the classroom. In fact, the only offer, professional offer I had out of college was to teach. I did it for two years, and I was done. I wanted nothing else to do with the classroom. People say, Pastor, are you going back for your master's? And the answer is absolutely not, okay? Uh, I was more like the dumb jock than I was the smart kid. But uh, you had the question in class, and the same kid would raise his hand every time, you know, and get it right. This is the kid who never has to study and makes 100 on everything. You know what I'm talking about? I hated that kid. I was not that kid. I hated that kid. You know, jealous. I'm serious. I was jealous, very jealous. I taught school. The two years I taught school, I had a young man in my class at very high IQ. His name was Kenny, and uh, Kenny would get a zero on his homework assignments, and he'd make a 100 on every quiz and test he took. And I, I'd get on him. I'd say, you're lazy, Kenny, and that's going to catch up to you one day. And he'd go, eh, we'll see. And maybe he'll slide through his whole life by just being smarter than the average bear. But you have the smart kid, and then you have the class clown. The class clown. Some of our teenagers over here are class clowns, right? And uh, class clown. They're the ones always have to get on in church for talking, all right? Don't make, don't make me get on you today. But just constantly cutting up, quick-witted, pulling practical jokes. Remember when you'd have a substitute teacher? Uh, substitute teacher in school, and uh, the substitute teacher didn't know the kids very well and would, uh, would switch desks and change names and all the things that go on and always had some kind of a practical joke to be played and always had something funny to say and the center of attention. And uh, When a class clown is younger, the teacher will ask a question and the student doesn't know. But he just raises his hand anyway to get all the attention, the class clown. And then you have the preppy boys, right? I mean, they, you open up their locker and they got a can of Axe body spray. Right there, just taking a shower and Axe body spray. That stuff stinks, doesn't it? And uh, they got every hair in place, and they look like they spend more time in front of the mirror uh, than uh, than they do doing their homework every day. And I mean, they wear the latest fashion trends, and they just look sharp, and uh, they or they think they look sharp. And uh, then you have the stuck-up girls, the stuck-up girls, right? They kind of talk like this, <laughs> and um, they got—they—they uh, they, they really know how to make you feel dumb, and, and just by the way they look at you, you know, they just—they just—they have this air about them. They're just better than everyone. They're—they're they're very cliquish. I, when I taught school, the 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 fifth, sixth, seventh, eighth grade junior high girl drama about drove me nuts, you know, and. And even if your child, even if your daughter isn't dramatic, she comes home and tells you about the other girl's drama. How many know what I'm talking about right now? And it's constantly, this one's not getting along with this one, and now this one's best friends with this one, and this one hates this one, and next week it all switches around, and now these two like each other and hate that one. And, and, and you have all of the, the pecking order of school, the, the, the trying to fit in socially. For many, it can be... Uh, an intimidating challenge. And then you get past the social aspect of school, and there's the academic side of school. Daily homework, quizzes, tests, quarter exams, semester exams, and final exams. But my least favorite part about school, above all the rest, was when the teacher would assign a project to complete it in a month or two or three, right? 
write a research paper on, you know, um, uh, how many legs a spider has and what each one of them does separately. I don't, I'm making it up, right? But whatever. And so, uh, are you serious? And, you know, book reports. Read this 458-page book and turn, on a, turn in a, 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 a paper and make sure it's font size 12 and double-spaced. And, you know, it's got to be like, you know, 29 and a half pages long and whatever it is. And, and get this book report done and science experiments and I didn't do well in science in school, and uh, all of the uh, all of the, uh, uh, the the long-term projects, or they wanted you to write some thesis on the philosophy of the meaning of life, or something like that. Uh, how many of you were like me, and you pro- procrastinated until the last minute to get these projects done? You like me? You waited till the last minute, okay? Procrastination is a bad habit. There's a lot of liars in the room right now. A whole lot more, but you procrastinate and you're not admitting it. Um, uh, but um, uh, procrastination is a bad habit, and it bleeds into the rest of our lives. Now, listen, because this is where I'm going with the introduction as we set up the sermon. When we procrastinate and there's a deadline, that's a problem. But what happens when we procrastinate on a project that has no deadline? Now we create a big mess because we continue to kick it down the road Right, I'll do it later, I'll do it later, and I'll do it later. You know what ends up happening? You hurt yourself. You hurt others. And when it comes to spiritual things, you hurt the heart of your God. I'll be, I'll be a good Christian later. I'll give that habit later. I'll get my life in order later. And there is no deadline that we know of. There is no date. Hey, turn this paper in by then or you're going to get a zero, right? And we just think, I'll I'll get to it later. I'll get to it later. And oh, the pain, oh, the hurt we create, oh, the frustration we create for others. Our theme in 2022 is a heart for God. A heart for God. We have said that a passionate heart for God is displayed categorically in two ways. If you have a heart for God, then you're going to walk with God. Say it with me. Walk with God. But not only are you going to walk with God, you're going to work for God. Say it with me. Work for God. So we're going to, say it with me, walk with God and we're going to work for God. A a person who has a passionate heart for God will walk with God and work for God. Now, this is our final Sunday morning series of 2022. And thus far in our series, Work for God, we have considered His compassion, several sermons on our motivating factor on why we work for God, because His compassions fail not. Uh, we, we, the love of Christ, as Paul said, constraineth us. It pushes us. It motivates us. And we're not trying to earn the love of God. We have the love of God. Therefore, because we have the love of God, we want to work for God. And then His calling. We looked at several sermons on what exactly it is that God wants you to do. Now, we're considering, finally this year, His coming, His coming. The reality is that God has given each of us, listen up now, an individual assignment to do before He comes back. When He returns, He's going to hold you accountable and me accountable for what we did while He was away. We have a task assigned with no deadline given. But he wants to find us being busy doing it. Now imagine a young boy who wakes up the morning his science project is due. 
And he has nothing, he's done nothing to prepare it, you know. His head pops off the pillow. I had nine months to do this and it's due today. Right? And I've done nothing. Okay? So he goes and he gets a cup and he puts dirt in it. And he takes it to school. And he stands there with this cup of dirt. And the teacher says, oh, what do you have there? And he says, I have a cup of dirt. And she says, well, explain your project. It's a dirt with, it's a cup with dirt in it. He's done nothing. And she gives him an F because he's done nothing. And he has nothing to show for it. When God calls you to stand in front of him one day, are you going to be like the little boy who waited until the day his science project was due and did nothing? You see, from the time his project was assigned to its due date, this young boy succeeded at many things. He succeeded at his video games. He succeeded at watching every episode of his favorite show. He succeeded at making money mowing lawns in the neighborhood. He succeeded at obeying his parents and staying out of trouble. But he failed at what his science teacher had assigned him. And one day, Jesus is coming back to gather up those who have believed in Him alone for salvation. While we are here, He has given us, He's given you to be specific, and He's given me an open-ended assignment that He wants accomplished. When He comes, is He going to find you working to accomplish it, or is He going to find you distracted being successful at things that just don't matter? To the parents in the room today, or those who have done any uh, children watching, uh, just imagine you give your child a chore... You go to the store, when you come back, the chore is left undone, but your child is distracted playing video games or hanging out with their friends or busy on their cell phone. How frustrated would you be with that child? Some of you know because that happens to you every week. How do you think it's going to be when your Heavenly Father calls you into His presence and nothing He gave you got done because you were busy hanging out with your friends or making money or being entertained with pleasure. One day there's going to be a reckoning and one day God's going to hold us all accountable. He's either going to declare you good and faithful or wicked and slothful. I want us this morning with much gravity, with much seriousness, to consider three thoughts about this topic, the reward of the Christian. Number one, notice the word assignment. Assignment. Take your Bibles over to Luke chapter number 12 this morning. I'm not going to pretend to have a theological explanation this morning on every aspect, every angle of every passage. We have to be careful. I just want to say this up front to those of you that think deeper into the passage, the nerds in the room. Amen. We have to be careful about drawing deep theological meaning out of parables. Um, But I think we can draw some general conclusions out of it. And some of you that would go over this passage would maybe look at it and say, well, Pastor, what about this or that? And uh, let's let's not get our nose too deep in the details. There's a time and place for that. And I'd be happy to sit and do a Bible study with you on it. But this morning, let's just draw some general Uh, conclusions that we all can agree on out of these passages. Look at Luke chapter 12. Look at verse 42. The Bible says, And the Lord said, Who then is faithful and wise steward, 
whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household to give them their portion of meat in due season. Luke 12, verse 43. Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, look here, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say unto you, that he will make him ruler over all that he hath. But, and if that servant say in his heart, My Lord delayeth his coming, and shall begin to beat the men servants and maidens, and to eat and to drink and to be drunken, the Lord of that servant will come in a day uh, when he looketh not for him, and at an hour when he is not aware, and will cut him in sunder, and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers and the servants which... Uh, knew the Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For, look here, unto whomsoever much is given, of him shall much be required. And to whom men have committed much, of him they will ask the more. Let me give you an A, B, and a C here. Notice letter A, our mission. Our mission. Look back at Luke chapter 12, verse 43. The Bible says, Blessed is that servant whom his Lord, when he cometh, shall find so doing. Shall find so doing. So we're to be busy with a mission given to us from the Lord. And what is that mission? I'm glad you asked. Turn over to Acts chapter 1. Hold your place in Luke. Turn over to Acts chapter number 1. And I'm going to, we're going to do a little bit of a Bible study on point 1. In fact, for those of you wondering, a good chunk of the sermon today will be spent on point 1 and point 3 with just a little bit of time on point 2. That's my plan. And so uh, let's, let's, uh, let's dive into the, into the Scripture this morning. We were here last week. We looked at this passage last week. I want to draw yet a different point. Acts chapter 1. Look at verse number 7. What is it that God has called us to do? We know that He's left us, right? He ascended to heaven and He's left us here as the church and He's coming back to get us one day. And We know that we're going to be held accountable to Him and He's going to ask us about what we did with the assignment He gave us. But what even is the assignment? Alright, here's what I'm trying to get at this morning. It would not be fair for God to hold us in judgment unless we had a clear articulation and understanding about what it is He's left for us to do. You can't, uh, you can't make an A on a project if the project has not been properly assigned. So let's look at Acts 1 and let's see what project was assigned to us. What our homework or our assignment is. Verse 7, And he said unto them, It is not for you to know the time or the season which the Father hath put in his own power, but, look here, you shall receive power. After that, the Holy Ghost has come upon you. Let's read the next phrase out loud together. Ready? And ye shall be witnesses unto me both in Jerusalem. Let's read the rest of the verse. Ready? And in all Judea and in Samaria and unto the uttermost parts of the earth. We're to be witnesses. We're to be witnesses. We witness with our, write this down, with our lifestyle. We witness with our lifestyle. We witness with our lips. We witness with our lifestyle. We witness with our lips. Everyone should know that you're a believer by the way you live and what you say. You should be quick to tell people, I'm a Christian and I'm unashamed to be a Christian. My lifestyle screams Christian and my lips scream Christian. You should be the hardest working employee at your job. You should be the most honest employee at your job. 
Uh, you should be uh, the most encouraging employee at your job. You should complain the least of everyone at your job. To those of you that are school age, you should be the best student in your school, the best student you can be, rather, in your school. We're not comparing your grades with other people's grades. We're comparing your effort with the effort of anyone else in the room. No one should try harder than you because the Bible says, whatsoever thy hand findeth to do, you do it with all your might. That doesn't mean your grades have to match someone else's, but it sure does mean that you're giving forth your best effort. Why? Because you're not doing making good grades for the teacher or for your parents. You're doing it for the Lord Jesus Christ. You should be the most attentive in school. You should be the best behaved in school. You should represent Jesus at school. You should keep your yard cleaned up in such a way to where other neighbors look at you and they don't see you as an eyesore in the neighborhood. You are a, a representative of the Lord Jesus Christ and you take that a lifestyle choice accordingly and you live in a way that pleases the Lord. But not only our lifestyle our lips. It's not enough for you just to put forth a good example. You need a witness with your lips. Testify with your lips what Jesus did for you. Look at verse 9. And when he had spoke these things, while they believed, he was taken up, and a cloud received him out of their sight. And while they looked steadfastly toward heaven as he went up, behold, two men stood by them in white apparel. We looked at this last week, which he also, which said also, ye men of Galilee, why stand ye gazing into heaven? Why stand ye gazing into heaven? This same Jesus, which is taken up from you into heaven, shall so come in like manner as ye have seen him go into heaven. I've been a part of many churches. I'm thankful this is not one of them. But I've been a part of many churches where the attitude is, we're just going to hold on till Jesus comes. Right? We're not, we're not, we're not, we're playing defense Hey, we're not here to play defense, folks. Uh, there's a world that needs the gospel, and when Jesus comes back and raptures his church, White Oak Baptist Church needs to be busy uh, proclaiming the gospel and telling people about Jesus and living lifestyles that please the Lord and recruiting visitors in and seeing them get saved and seeing them get baptized and seeing people uh, uh, grow uh, through discipleship. We're not just looking for decisions. We're looking for discipleship. We're looking for people to grow in the Lord and to please the Lord, and we want him to come back and find us being witnesses, find us being faithful. Now that speaks to us corporately, but that speaks to you individually. Would somebody look at the ethos of the way you live your life and draw the conclusion that you are a Christian that does right because right is right and right pleases the Lord, or that you are a person who does right depending on the situation? See, when we play the situational ethics game, people look at that and they know well, you know what? They're just doing whatever is convenient for them in the moment. They're not doing what's right to please the Lord all the time. People ought to look at us and they ought to know by the way we live and the way we speak that our heart is to tell them about Jesus because He's the only one that can save. Our mission, let her be, our materials. Our materials. What has God given us to accomplish the project? When I was in the seventh grade, I won a science fair in my school and to my amazement, I won a science fair. I had a bad attitude about it going in, and I went home and told my parents about it. My mom and dad said, listen, we're going to get you the materials you need to pull this off. You find your project, and as long as it's within a budget, we'll make it happen. I ended up creating a cloud in a jar and won first place in a statewide science project. I couldn't do it again. In fact, I failed most times I tried, but in front of the judges, it, it went off great, and I ended up winning first, winning first place. But you know what I needed? I needed my parents to take me to the store and give me some supplies 
to be able to pull that off. And I needed to be able to practice. And I needed the wherewithal. I had to do the study and understanding of how these things worked. And so God has given us not only an assignment and a mission, He's also given us materials wherewith to complete that assignment. Now, these won't be on the screen, but if you want to write these down, I would encourage you to do that. What has God given us? And I've got, let's see, one, two, three, four, five, six things God has given us. And this list by by no way is complete, but it's pretty close. The first thing he's given us is money and material goods. Money and material goods. Turn over to Matthew chapter 25 in your Bibles. Matthew chapter 25, and look at verse number 14. Matthew 25 and verse number 14, we get, again, a story about a traveling man or somebody who's very wealthy leaving uh, some goods, some materials, some money to some servants of his and uh, some instruction on what to do with it. Look at verse 14, Matthew chapter 25. And by the way, let me just say here, if you can't keep up with the speed by which I have you turn, don't feel any pressure and don't feel guilty, okay? If you can't keep up, do your best. And then if you can't keep up, just close your Bible and just listen to the reading of the Scriptures and get what you can out of it. Matthew 25, look at 14. The Bible says, For the kingdom of heaven is as the man traveling into a far country who called his own servants and delivered unto them his goods. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one, to every man according to his several ability and straightway took his journey. Now, there's no getting around the fact that the traveling man in this story is Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ is the man who's left and he's coming back and he's going to hold in account, he's going to call into um, a question uh, the assignment given to these three men. So he left at his ascension. He's going to hold us accountable at the rapture. It is important also to point out that he gave these men money. Money to accomplish his purpose. There's no getting around it. The word talent there is not like ability. That word a talent there is another word for a weight of gold or a weight of a precious metal. This is money. He gave one man five talents or a larger amount of money and another man two talents and another man one talent. There are those of you in our church here today, God has blessed you with the ability to make lots of money and you've got large bank accounts. Praise the Lord. There's nothing, uh, there's nothing, no reason to feel guilty over that. Praise God that He's blessed you with the wherewithal to make money and uh, be wealthy. Others of you here, and so we'll say that's the upper class in wealth. And then you have the middle class where maybe you're a two-talent Christian when it comes to money. And you don't have uh, millions of dollars in the bank, but you have a lifestyle that's that's middle class and supported by your income. And then there are those of you here, you might be a one-talent Christian. You know what? God loves the five-talent just as much as He loves the one-talent. You may not even live a middle-class lifestyle, but God has given you some sort of income. And with that income, you are to use that to grow and please the Lord. He's given us money and material goods. Now, not only is he given us money, he's given us spiritual gifts in order to accomplish the mission. Okay? Look back at verse 15. Look back at verse 15, Matthew 24. And unto one he gave five talents, to another two, and to another one. Different distributions of money. Look at the rest of the verse. Look here. To every man, according to his several ability. Notice that phrase, his several ability, and straightway, took his journey. So not only did he give us money to accomplish the mission, he's given us abilities. What is that? That is a body 
and a brain. Some of you say, Pastor, I don't have a high IQ or I don't have a high EQ. Intelligent quotient, emotional quotient. You know, I'm not able to read people or I'm not all that smart. And uh, listen, I'm not as talented as someone else. I'm not as gifted as someone else. Let me just remind all of us here today, it is not your duty to compare yourself to anyone else. Can I tell you, though, that we all are tempted to do it, and most of us do it. I have a confession to make, all right? Maybe this will help somebody here today. Some of you grew up Catholic, and you wouldn't confess to the priest. And you come to a Baptist church, and the pastor confesses to you. So uh, there's an adjustment in there, right? Um, About three weeks ago, I went to a pastor's conference in Rhode Island. And I sat there. I walked in. There's all these pastors from all over New England. And I was very uncomfortable. I was very, very, very uncomfortable. And I, and I sat, and everyone was friendly. No one did anything that made me feel uncomfortable. I just was. All right? It wasn't their fault. It was mine. And I sat down, and uh, I did the antisocial thing. I just didn't want to talk to anybody. Right? People come up and say hello to me. I'd engage, but I didn't have any interest in talking to anybody. And so um, halfway through the sermon... I asked myself this question. I said, why are you this way every time you go to a preacher's conference? There's a conference down in New Jersey I go to every year, and the very first day I'm at that conference, I feel the same way that I felt there. There's a Sunday school conference down in New Jersey. They ask me to speak at every year. I'm one of about 30 or 40 pastors that speak at it. I go every year and I speak, but I feel uncomfortable every time I go, and I felt uncomfortable there, and I'm sitting there, and I'm just miserable. I'm miserable. I'm in a room full of other preachers. And you say, Pastor, why would you be uncomfortable? You're a preacher. They're preachers. They're they're pastoring churches. You pastor this church. You should feel right at home with your peers sitting there in the pew uh, worshiping the Lord and praising Him. And you know what it dawned on me? It dawned on me that I was uncomfortable because I was hyper-comparing myself to everyone in the room. And the Spirit of God began to work on me and say, It is not wise to compare yourself amongst yourselves. And I stopped comparing myself to the other people in that room. And you know what happened? I started to enjoy myself. I started to have fun. Because I don't care what their churches are doing or not doing. I care what God's called me to do. And I need to run my own race. Listen up here. Then God spoke to me on this topic. He said, you have people who go to your church. And they feel the same way sitting in the pew at your church that you felt at that conference. Because they're comparing themselves to the other people around them. Can I just encourage all of us today, stop comparing yourself to the people around you. Hey, we're all at a different point in our Christian walk. Some of us are 30, 40 years down the road, down the path. Others of us are 30 days down that path. Some of us are just starting that path. When you get to heaven, God's not going to hold up a measuring stick and compare you to me or me to you. He wants you to run your own race. I chased a rabbit, but I hope that helps somebody this morning. Somebody, I think, probably needed to hear that this morning. Hey, when you come here, this is a place where God's love is held high and you bathe in the love of God in your heart. Don't compare yourself to others.
right? Now, the Word of God is going to challenge you to be a better person. Go forth and be challenged. But don't worry about the, how, how the person next to you looks, what they're wearing, how they smell, right? How they carry their Bible, how quickly they get over to a passage. God's not judging you compared to them. He's judging you compared to you and what He's called you to do and be. He's given you spiritual gifts. You say, well, um, I go through the spiritual gifts in 1 Corinthians 12, and I see that my spiritual gifts are less than this person's spiritual gifts. Well, there you go comparing again. If God's given you one spiritual gift, and you have a body that functions and a brain that works, it may not work as well as someone else, who cares? He's given you your body. He's given you your brain. He's given you your spiritual gifts. Get busy with the mission of proclaiming the gospel for the world to hear about Jesus. That's the assignment. These are our materials. All right, quickly. Next, time. So we see money, material goods. We see spiritual gifts. How about time? Ephesians 5.16 says, Redeeming the time because the days are evil. Here's the good news. You may not be a five-talent Christian. You might be a one-talent Christian. You might not have four spiritual gifts. You might have one spiritual gift. But the reality is, is that all of us in here have the same amount of time to work with. We all have 168 hours every week to work with. And whether or not you are rich or poor in money, rich and poor in uh, relational abilities, whether or not you're rich and poor in intellect, we all have 168 hours and we all need to be busy using that time and redeeming it. Why? Because the days are evil. All right? Next, um, notice he's given us authority. Authority. We're looking at the materials God has given us to complete the homework assignment. Right? He's coming back. There's there's a a, a deadline, but we don't know that date. There's a judgment time. We don't know when that is. He's given us a mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus Christ and live holy lives for the world to see it. He's given us the materials by which to accomplish it. Money, material goods, and spiritual gifts, and time. Now we look at authority. Hebrews thirteen seventeen says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. Many people balk, scorn, push back, don't like um, uh, the authority structure that God has given us, but we know that God has given us the structure of government. Romans 13 talks about how that government exists for the well-being and of man and the punishment of evil doing. Is that sometimes abused? Yes, it is. But nonetheless, that's God's system. It's not perfect because man is not perfect. It isn't perfect because God isn't perfect because He is. But authority sometimes gets abused. In fact, abuse is any time you take power you have over someone else and you misuse it. Someone who is stronger than someone else might uh, uh, beat someone up. That is abuse of power. Someone might take their sexual uh, 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 superiority, superiority and hurt someone else. That is sexual abuse. Abuse of power. And there can be emotional abuse. The emotional superiority and misuse of it. But uh, listen, all the same, God has given us authority not not to abuse, but to build. We're to build the kingdom of God with the structure of authority. God has given us government. God has given us the church. God has given us the institution of the Christian home. And uh, husbands need to stand up, get a backbone, and lead their home. And wives, they need to learn how to be strong in the Lord, but yet submissive to their husbands. And children need to both honor and obey mom and dad. And we need to follow the structure that the Lord has given us. And when we follow the structure of authority, what we then have, what we then have is we have um, the ability to com- uh, 
accomplish the purpose by which God has given us. Notice next, he's given us the gospel message. The gospel message. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 and 4 says, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received, how that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that He was buried, and that He rose again the third day according to the Scriptures. What is the gospel message? Well, the word gospel means good news. Good news. What is the good news of Jesus Christ? That He died, that He was buried, say it with me, church, and that He rose again. Say it with me. Here we go. That He died, that He was buried, and that He rose again. And you know what? Through His death, our sins have been paid for, and through His resurrection, we are given, offered the gift of eternal life. And that's freely available to all. And uh, all are invited to come to repentance. And we have the gift of eternal life and the gospel message. Now notice what Paul said in the beginning of verse 3 of 1 Corinthians 15. Listen, he said, For I, Paul, delivered unto you. So he said, I had the gospel message and I delivered it unto you. I took the assignment to be a witness serious. I learned the gospel message. I learned how to articulate the gospel message. And then I delivered unto you that Christ died, that He was buried, and that He rose again according to the Scriptures. And so we have the clear gospel message. Let me say this quickly to you this morning. If you don't know how to walk someone through the Bible and show them how to go to heaven, let me ask you this. Do you know how you got saved? Raise your hand if you know your own salvation testimony. Come on, hold them up. You know how you got saved? Okay? Then you now know how to tell the gospel to somebody. Tell them what happened to you. Right? Tell them how you prayed and received Jesus. Tell them how you believed. Tell them how that you were a sinner. Tell them how that you were uh, hellbound and how that Jesus died for you and how you believed. Listen, you can walk them through the basics of how you got saved and then you can invite them to church. And Pastor Lejeune or Pastor Andrew or one of the other brothers and sisters in church here that know how to articulate it, they can help you get it done. Uh, we'll go with you to their house and help you witness to them or meet them at a coffee shop. But we have a gospel message and we need to get it out. Lastly, notice our materials. Notice His Holy Spirit. His Holy Spirit. Oh, I would be amiss to give you our materials, to give you uh, what we've been equipped with to accomplish the, the, the mission uh, of the Gospel and not talk about the Holy Spirit. Turn over to John chapter 14 and look at verse number 26 with me. John chapter number 14. I really want us to... To, to focus in on this, you see, I believe the, whole, the gift of the Holy Spirit is the one gift that is ignored and missed out on uh, the most. We have the, the power of a mighty engine within us, and often that, uh, that engine is left in the off position. We don't use, utilize the Holy Spirit in accomplishing this great purpose. Let me say before we read John 14, all right, I really want you to hear uh, the point I'm about to make. Here's what happens. We know the mission is to give the gospel, but then we become paralyzed. You've heard the phrase, paralysis by analysis. Can I tell you what we're analyzing that brings about the paralysis? We're analyzing whether or not we think we can do it. All right? This isn't about whether or not you can do it. It's whether or not the Spirit of God can do it through you. You see, Jesus said, all power is given. All power. This isn't about whether or not you can come up, you say, I'm an introvert, I'm quiet, you know, I'm shy. Uh, listen, it's not about that. 
It's not about that. It's about can the Spirit of God work through you to get it out. Look at John 14. Look at verse 26. And I could have taken you to a number of other passages, but just for time's sake, we'll look at just one this morning. But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name. Look here. He shall teach you all things and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Now, the Greek word for comforter is the word paraclete, which means advocate or lawyer. God, in the form of the Holy Ghost, lives inside of the heart of each believer, and God's Spirit provides many benefits to help us earn rewards in heaven at the judgment. All right, I've got a lot of material this morning. If you just want to absorb it in your heart and not write any of it down, that's great. But I've got, let's see here, one, two, I'm, I'm just going to rattle these off. I'm not going to spend any time on them. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven things the Holy Spirit of God does for us when we allow Him. First, notice that He, he, he offers us comfort during the times of sorrow or discouragement. John 14, 26 again says, The Comforter, Comforter. Thank God for His hand of comfort during times of sorrow and discouragement. So He he offers us comfort during times of discouragement. Notice next, confirmation when you hear a word of truth. It is the Spirit of God that leads and guides us into all truth and helps us steer clear of apostasy, false doctrine. He offers us conviction when you are sinning and hurting the heart of God, the heart of yourself, or others. So conviction, comfort, confirmation, conviction. Notice next, he offers us courage to share the gospel message with friends and family and strangers. And so you say, I can't do it. I can't overcome and I can't tell others. No, he offers you the courage to step up and stand out and overcome the fear of rejection and the fear of man and even the fear of death and tell the world about Jesus. Notice next, he offers us continuance, continuance to do right year after year and decade after decade. Faithfulness is not the byproduct of trying real hard. Faithfulness is the byproduct of being submissive to the Holy Spirit for a lifetime. Notice next, He offers us constraint. Constraint so that you live a life marked by moderation and not excess. And lastly, He offers us calmness. Calmness. Some of you here are an emotional basket case. You explode, you yell, you holler, you get angry. Uh, you are always over here doing this and you're a busybody over here doing that. You have no control over your tongue. You gossip and uh, you're all over the, 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 the social media platforms and learning this gossip and sharing it over here. And uh, You have no spirit of, of constraint or spirit of calmness. These are things that come from the gift uh, of the Holy Spirit when we yield to Him. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, and meekness. These are all a uh, uh, spirit of calmness given to us by God. So, listen, it is not a matter of materials. All right, again, you're a little, you're young, you're in junior high, high school, middle school, high school. Teacher gives you an assignment, and off you go, and it's due at an undisclosed date, and you go, I can't do it, I don't have the materials. And I would say to you, this is not true for you, my friend. He has given you an assignment to take the good news of Jesus Christ and live it out for the world to see and share it with anyone and everyone that will listen. You have the materials you need. You have all the materials we just covered. All of us in here have some form of income. All of us in here have some form of, of, of gift, whether it's a, a, a limited or great, that does not matter. We all have it. All of us in here have time. All of us in here have, let's see, what were some of the things we talked about? Well, the last one was the Holy Spirit. We all have these things. We have the gospel message. And you know what? It, it's not a matter of whether or not you have the materials. 
Let me talk about the third letter C here. We looked at our mission. We looked at our materials. I think for many of us, here's the problem. Letter C, our motivation. Our motivation. I'm just going to come right out and say it this morning. For many of you coming from a Catholic background, the problem is you got your motivation wrong. You think that you have to please God by your behavior. By the way, it's not just the Catholic Church. I grew up in a Baptistic environment where it was performance-based. Boy, if you don't perform, you're on a lower tier in the good graces of God. Well, that is false. That is false. Do you know whether or not you accomplish the assignment before you? The love of God is just the same. His grace is just the same toward you. How do we shut God's grace off in our life? Well, there's really only a few ways to do it. The Bible says God resisteth the proud, but giveth grace to the humble. Hebrews 13 talks about a, a, a root of bitterness that limits God's grace in our life. But if you are living a heart that's humble and free of bitterness and anger and unforgiveness, then the grace of God flows down upon you and you have, therefore, the motivation to go out and tell the world about Jesus. We don't want a church filled with people who are uh, uh, just trying to please an angry God. No, God loves you. He hates our sin, but He loves you. And we ought to be about doing the work of God out of a heart of motivation. The songwriter put it this way. He said, work for the night is coming. Work through the morning hours. Work while the dew is sparkling. Work mid-springing flowers. Work when the day grows brighter. Work in the glowing sun. Work for the night is coming when man's work is done. The last verse of that song says, Work for the night is coming under the sunset skies. Work while their bright tints are glowing. Work for daylight flies. Work till the last beam fadeth. Fadeth to shine no more. Work for the night is coming when man's work is o'er. I want you to imagine a property manager. He's given oversight of a multi-million dollar estate. The property manager is asked to keep everything from the landscape to the maintenance, to the cleanliness of the property, perfect at all times. At all times. No one's living there. The property sits empty for years with no one showing up. But yet each Friday, the check is deposited in the property manager's account to make sure the property is perfect. I mean, even the pillowcases don't smell musty. How many stay to bed and breakfast and you know what I'm talking about, all right? Things can smell musty, right? Even the pillowcases smell fresh. No one stayed there for years, yet the property is to be immaculate. Each Friday, that check is deposited. And each week, that property is to stay maintained. But after many years, the property manager begins to let things slide, all the while getting paid. Then one day, unannounced... The owner of the property shows up and finds the place a wreck. How do you think that one-on-one -on -one conversation is going to go between the owner and the property manager? That's going to be you one day when you stand before God to give an account for how you've managed his property. How do you think that conversation is going to go? When he wants to know, mom and dad, how you raise your kids. When he wants to know, husband, how you handled your wife. When he wants to know, Christian, how you handled the gospel message. 
Number two, notice the word accounts. Accounts. We see number one, assignment. Number two, accounts. Quickly, 1 Corinthians 3 in your Bibles, letter A, notice the Christian's foundation. The Christian's foundation. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, I move quickly, verse 11. For other foundations can no man lay, and that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. We're going to look at a few other verses there, so get over to 1 Corinthians 3. Salvation is so simple, there is what Jesus did and there is what we do. Salvation has nothing to do with us and everything to do with Christ. If you're mixing your own works into salvation, then you are not saved. The foundation of eternity is not you, nor uh, nor is it Jesus in you. The foundation of salvation is Jesus Christ and Him alone. That's it. Look back at verse 11 again. For other foundation can no man lay than that is laid, which is Jesus Christ. It's not about you. Salvation has nothing to do with you. It has everything to do with Jesus and your simple faith in Him. Letter B, notice the Christian's framework. The Christian's framework. Look at 1 Corinthians chapter 3 and verse 12. Now if there be, if they, now if any man build upon this foundation gold, silver, precious stones, wood, hay, stubble, here we are given two sets of building materials that go on the foundation of our life. Now this is a metaphorical building, okay? But right now, Christian, you are building a building on top of, you are constructing a building, a home, on top of the foundation of your salvation. And those building materials are either gold, silver, and precious stone, or they are wood, hay, and stubble. I'll clarify that more under letter C. Notice the Christian's fire. The Christian's fire. Look at verse 13. The Bible says, Every man's work shall be made manifest, for the day shall declare it, because it shall be revealed by fire. And the fire shall try every man's work of what sort it is. If any man's work abide, which he had built thereupon, he shall receive a reward. Paul is laying out for us what the judgment seat of Christ will look like. Now one day, Jesus is going to rapture his church. And listen up here, one at a time. Me and you are going to walk in before the Savior. And we're going to give an account for our life. You and your Savior all by yourself. Some people think they're going to die and go to heaven. And then, you know, it doesn't really matter how you live on earth. As long as you get into heaven, everything's great. Heaven's going to be great if you make it in. Okay? If you believed in Jesus, heaven's going to be great. Heaven's going to be greater for some of us than others. Because at that judgment seat, you're either going to be given an A or an F. You and the Lord. And the excuses that you give man will not even be heard in the ears of God. Now I'm going to give my opinion right here, based on what 1 Corinthians 3 teaches. I don't think there's going to be a lot of talking that goes on between you and God. I think God is going to turn our works into building materials, pass them through a fire, and let the results speak for themselves. You see, everything you do and everything I do is being turned into either wood, hay, stubble, or gold, silver, and precious stones. Let's not pass any notes in church, ladies. I want your attention up here. 
You'd be a distraction to me and others. Okay, so let's sit up straight. Thank you. Gold, silver, precious stone, or wood, hay, stubble. You listening? Now, I believe for all of us in here, we're going to have some wood, hay, stubble. You know, when you lost your temper with your spouse this week, that's wood, hay, stubble. It's going to get burned up. Right? When you took God's name in vain, it's going to be wood, hay, stubble. It's going to get burned up. But my fear is that for many of us, the framework on top of our foundation is almost all wood, hay, stubble. Every time you open your mouth and speak, every time you went to work and punched the clock, every time you cooked or cleaned or did something within the maintenance of your home, every time you spend or invest the money that God has given you to, to steward, every time you put something in the offering plate at church, Every time you came to church hungry or cold toward the Word of God, whether it was to be fed spiritually or you were just going through the motion, every time you served the Lord with the church body, every time you helped or ignored the need of a child, every time you prayed or took a pass on praying when you should have, all of those things will, and, and, and all the actions of our life will be turned into building materials and they'll be passed through a fire, our God is a consuming fire. Now watch this, not only what you do or did not do for God, but why you do it will be judged. I'm almost 40 years old, and I have become quite skeptical in my life. People do something nice for me and my eyebrow is raised. What do you really want out of me? Kids are less, you know, clever about it. and You can kind of tell they're trying to work something out of you, you know. Dad, you're the most handsome guy. <laughs> All right, what do you want? What are you trying to get out of me? Because I know that ain't true. God sees straight through your motives. You can do the right thing for the wrong reason and that deed to be turned into wood, hay, and stubble. You work that bus route, you usher, you sing in church, you teach a class. You even love your wife or your husband, but you're doing it for selfish gain. What could have been gold, silver, and precious stone is turned into wood, hay, and stubble. And God sees straight through it. He just does. He's not fooled. He knows not only what we do, He knows why we do it. You remember when Isaiah went into the presence of God, Isaiah chapter 6, he gave an account for every idle word spoken. He fell on his face and he said, my lips are unclean. One day God's not going to have to say a word to us. His holiness will be so convicting. His holiness will be a fire. And my question to you today is this. When that day comes and your works are passed through a fire, I want uh, please, 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 this is so vital. Is he going to hand you a pile of ash? Or is he going to hand you a pile of gold, silver, and precious stones that have been turned into a crown? 
I, I, I know when I get to heaven, I'm going to have my share of ash. I know that. I'm a sinner. I've done some things that are not right. I've done some good things for the right reasons in my life. But I want God to hand me some crowns. We've looked at assignment. We've looked at account. Number three, let's look at awards. Awards. I covered these earlier in the year in our, uh, in our series on finances, rich toward God. But I blew, I, I mean, I ran over them real quick. I spent very little time on them. I, I hope to give just a few more minutes to it today. Letter A, notice crown of incorruptibility. There are five crowns that I have found in the Bible that your gold, silver, and precious stone will be turned into. Let's see what they are. May we be challenged to go earn these crowns. Look at uh, 1 Corinthians 9, look at verse 24. The Bible says, Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth the prize, so run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is tempered in all things. Notice that word temperate. If you mark your Bibles, underline or highlight that word temperate. Temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. I therefore so run, not as uncertainly. So fight I, not as one that beateth the air. I'm not shadow boxing, Paul says. I'm fighting a real enemy. But I keep under my body. Here's the idea of being temperate. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection, lest that by any means when I have preached to others, I myself should be a castaway. One day you get to heaven and God is going to take your ability to deny your flesh and He's going to turn that into crowns. We all have a flesh that wants to do wrong. Can I tell you what I want when I'm done preaching? I want someone to walk up to me and say, Pastor, that was a great sermon. But you know what that is? That's my flesh. That's my flesh. I'm to subdue my flesh. You know, if I had it my way, I would eat massive amount of meat every meal. That's my flesh. If I had it my way, sexual lust would run me over. Just being honest this morning, that's my flesh. If I had it my way, I would make all the money I could and be a greedy person. That's my flesh. Now, you might have a different set of struggles than me, but we all have them, do we not? You know what the Bible says? We're to be temperate. Now, you can fake being temperate with me, but you can't fake being temperate with God. He knows. And if you are temperate, controlling of your flesh, saying no to the flesh and say yes to the Spirit, one day He's going to give you the crown of incorruptibility. Now, our theme this year is a heart for God. This isn't about you trying harder. This is about you having a passionate love for God. These are the byproducts. Letter B, crown of rejoicing. 1 Thessalonians 2. Take your Bibles over there. 1 Thessalonians 2. Everybody okay this morning? 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 19. This is also known as the soul winner's crown. The soul winner's crown. What's it mean? That means to tell people about Jesus. 
Someone said that maybe it should be called soul warning. And I, I get the sentiment. I understand what they're saying. It is our duty to warn. Paul said that he, persuade, that he persuaded men, which means you're winning them over to the truth. So I love the term soul winning, and I'm not going to back off of it. Amen? 1 Thessalonians 2, verse 19. At the end of the day, it's our responsibility to warn. The Spirit of God has to win them, but all the same, we should be giving our best case for the gospel. Look at 1 Thessalonians 2. Look at verse 19. For what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are, ye not, even, are, not, even, are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at His coming? Paul said, I hope to get my share of crowns when I get to heaven. But boy, I'm going to tell you what's even better than getting a pile of crowns after my works are passed through the fire. It'll be coming through the gate of heaven and seeing all of you who I told about Jesus and you got into heaven based on my witness. He said, there's no set of crowns that that will be my greatest crown. I hope that when I get to heaven one day, my children are standing inside the gate. Well, I hope when I get to heaven one day, my children are not. I hope they're still here on earth. But all the same, I hope when my children get to heaven one day, they walk through the gates of heaven and say, Mom, Dad, you told us about Jesus. You made it possible for us to be here. I hope when I get to heaven one day, there are those who've gone on before me and they look me in the eye and say, I put my faith in Jesus because of your witness and your testimony. I want to ask you this morning, Christian, who are you telling about Jesus? Jesus, who are you witnessing to by the way you live your life? Who are you witnessing to by the way you use your lips? Who will be in heaven one day because of you and your witness? Paul said to the Thessalonians, and Paul was only there for just a quick minute. He was in and out of town. They ran him out real quick. But Paul gave the gospel. He preached the truth. People got saved and he said, I can't wait to get to heaven and enjoy it with those who I've told about the Lord. Let her see the crown of righteousness. The crown of righteousness, 2 Timothy chapter 4, in verse 8. I'll read this one. It says, Henceforth there is laid up for me, Paul says, a crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, and not to me only, but unto all them that also love his appearing. I think about um, the joy it is to live next door to the church. My wife and I love living in the home the church has provided for us. And a donor purchased that and paid to have it renovated. And that was just unsolicited. Came out of left field, didn't know it was coming. Uh, someone who very generously loves the Lord and loves the church did that for us. And my wife and I are the beneficiaries who get to live there. And uh, there are way more pros than cons. Can I tell you a con living next to the church? People can drop in on you unannounced. <laughs> now again, the pros are so far beyond, and it doesn't happen very often. And we're thankful for that. But you know, there is a sense of the house has to be clean all the time. Because we never know when someone's going to stop by. Do you know that that's how you should live your life? You never know when Jesus is coming back. And when He comes back... You should live your life each day as though the property manager is returning, or rather the property owner is returning to check in on the property manager. You're managing your own life. One day, God's going to say, you know what? You lived your life in a way where each and every day you did your best to keep your heart right. Here's a crown of righteousness because you kept yourself ready. Letter D, crown of glory. Crown of glory. 1 Peter 5. I know we're moving uh, through the passages quickly, but 1 Peter 5 if you know where it is and can get there quickly, please do turn. I 
I, I, I want to make, make an appeal to parents, and, and we're almost done. I've got one more sub-point, and then we're going to look at Revelation 22 and, and shut it down. But I hope you'll give me your attention just for a few more minutes. Look at First Peter chapter 5, and look at verse 1. The Bible says, The elders which are among you I exhort, who am also an elder. And the word elder and pastor, in my opinion, in my opinion, the word elder and pastor and bishop are interchangeable. They're the same position, okay? So he's talking to elders. He's talking to pastors. Whom also, he says, who am also an elder and a witness of the suffering of Christ and also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. Look here, we get the idea of an elder being a pastor. Verse 2, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight thereof. And that word oversight and bishop are the same. Not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. Verse 3, neither as being lords over God's heritage. Pastors are not to act like kings, but being in samples or examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. What Peter is telling here to pastors is he's saying, listen, pastors, you are stepping in and fulfilling the role of the good shepherd in heaven. And one day, he's going to hold pastors accountable on how well they did their job. Did they lord over the flock? Or were they examples to the flock on how to live the Word of God? And he says, those that did it well and those who taught the Word of God and lived out as a good example and were faithful and did not fade away or did not quit, he said, one day, pastors are going to receive a special crown called the crown of glory. And you say, well, pastor, that applies to you. That one doesn't necessarily apply to us. Here's what I want to say to you today, okay? If you have kids in here, Raise your kids in a way where God can call them into church ministry. Because there's a special crown that awaits them. There's a special crown that awaits them in heaven if they are called to be a pastor and they do it and they do it well. You, you, you uh, Moms and dads with boys, raise your boys to love God. Raise your boys to have a heart for God. Raise your boys in a way where God could call them into the pastorate if He so desires. God doesn't call everybody, every man to be a pastor. But if God wanted to call your young man, raise him in a way where He can. There's a special crown that awaits him if He's called into that and He does it well. Letter E, lastly, notice, crown of life. Crown of life. This one fits in sort of with the, the in, crown of incorruptibility, but quickly, James 2.12 says, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. Revelation 2.10 also references the crown of life. Fear none of these things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried, and ye shall have tribulation ten days. But uh, be thou faithful unto death, and I will give... Unto thee, give thee a crown of life. Those that endure temptation and those who endure uh, suffering for the Lord, including being a martyr, will receive the crown of life. And may we be faithful to the end, whether it's easy or hard. Let's go back to Revelation 22 where we started this morning and we'll wrap it up. Look at verse number 11. And I want you to think about the day you stand before God at the judgment seat. You've been given your assignment. There will be a day of accounts or day of reckoning. And there's going to be awards that will be handed out based on the way we lived our life for the Lord. Look at verse 11. He that is unjust, let him be unjust still. He which is filthy, let him be filthy still. There's going to be no hiding in heaven. 
If you're unjust on earth, that will be revealed in heaven. If you're filthy on earth, you'll be revealed as filthy in heaven. He that is righteous, let him be righteous still. And he that is holy, let him be holy still. Let's read verse 12 together. Ready? And behold, I come quickly, and my reward is with me, to give every man according as his work shall be. The Lord's going to come in rapturous. He's going to have his awards or rewards in our hand. And he's going to distribute them based on how we have lived for the Lord. You've been given an assignment, church. Are you procrastinating and living life the way you want and ignoring what God wants? Are you building your kingdom at the expense of letting His kingdom go to pots? Let's be busy doing what's right for the right reasons. May one day we give an account with joy and not with sadness. Let's have our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning. Every head bowed, every eye closed. You've listened well. I've preached a long, long time and you've listened well and I'm thankful for that. You've given me your attention. Sometimes you've forced it, but you've done it and I'm grateful. This morning I want to ask you a question. If Jesus came back today and your works were passed through that fire, would you be handed a pile of ash or would you be handed a pile of crowns? This isn't a competition between you and someone else. You are running your own race. Some of you in here have been given much. You've been raised in a good family and around the Word of God. Much will be required of you. The standard to get those crowns is going to be a little bit higher. The bar is going to be a little bit higher. Others of you in here have only been saved a short time. You've not been given as much. It's not about whether or not you are given much or little. It's about what you're doing with what you've been given. Are you working hard? Are you ready for that judgment day? How many this morning would say, Pastor Lejeune, I'm being very honest. If Jesus came back today, I am not prepared to stand in His presence and give an account. I know I'm not prepared. I've not been living my life in a way to build up crowns. I've been building my, living my life in a way where I would be given a pile of ash. Pastor, there's more I can do. I can do better. Help me. Pastor, say, say, Pastor, pray for me that God will help me to do a better job. If that's you, would you just hold up your hand? I know the mission. I have the materials. And I know the motivation. I just need to get with it. I just need to get with it. Lord, help us today to be people of the book. Help us to be people today who are serious about your mission. Lord, your rapture is imminent. That judgment day is coming. May it be with joy and not with sorrow. Help us today to make real decisions that change, alter the way we live when we go forth. May we leave here and go forth and be serious about our assignment. In Jesus' name, let's stand to our feet. Our heads are bowed, our eyes are closed.